While they're headed out, if you'll turn to 1 Samuel 15, we are finishing up today our series on all-in orphan care, and compassion is one opportunity for us to be obedient in that. And uh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground in these five weeks, today being the sixth week. And uh, I want to conclude this study uh, by really answering the question, why, obe- why obedience matters? Why obedience matters so much? Uh, why disobedience is so offensive? I, I think if we were honest, uh, we do not carry the same attitudes as our great God, not only towards our uh, disobedience, but, but also towards our obedience. And uh, I want to address that today and, and tie it in with specifically what we've seen regards to orphans and fostering and things of that nature. And I've been studying in my own, in my own time with the Lord daily. I've been studying First Samuel and walking through that book. And uh, this passage jumped out at me a few weeks ago. And I've just been uh, working through it in my own heart. And I, and I just wanted to uh, bring it today because I believe it answers the question. I believe it gives us a glimpse, a window into God's heart towards our obedience and towards our, our disobedience. We, the similarities between our call to take care of widows and orphans and the call that Samuel had that he disobeyed are similar in this. They were very clear. God had clearly spoken a word. God had clearly revealed his heart on something. And the question is, how will we respond? And, and God gives us a glimpse uh, into his heart through Samuel here in response to Saul's disobedience. So so let me read real quick just the passages that I want us to think about, and then I want us to give the context so we'll understand exactly why uh, God would say what he says here through the prophet Samuel. He says in verse 22, Samuel said of 1 Samuel 15, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is of the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. To understand fully what's going on here, you'd have to really go back to Exodus 17, when God is is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, A man by the name of Amalek comes and he attacks God's people. They're leaving leaving Egypt. God has sovereignly orchestrated their their exodus. Uh, He's provided the the manna. He's leading his people and Amalek comes and he attacks them in this moment. If you were to go back to Exodus 17, some of you are familiar, this is the battle where Moses' arms get tired and and the men of Israel come alongside and they hold up Moses' arms. And as long as Moses' arms, as long as that staff was raised, God provided the victory. And God did provide the victory that day. But he did not forget the evil that Amalek had purposed upon his people. And, And if we were to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, God, God says something here that is, that is really being played out 
in 1 Samuel. In Deuteronomy 25, listen to what it says. Moses says, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the, sta- all the stragglers at the rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. God is dealing with their evil. God God is dealing with their sin. God's dealing with the people here that have been against Him, have been His enemies, from day one. And years later, Saul has been anointed king, and, and God gives him an order, and he says, you're going to carry out what I told would happen long ago regarding Amalek and the, and the Malachites. And God is using Saul to do what he said he would do. God is using Saul to show that he's faithful to do what he said he would do. They had plenty of time to repent. They did not, and God is carrying out the sentence, do their sin. He's showing that he's faithful through Saul. And he says, if you were to go to 1 Samuel 15, chapter 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I'll punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman child. Just, again, deal with their sin. These are, these are strong passages. What we have to understand is God is going to deal with sin. Whether He's judging the Amalekites for their sin, or whether He judges those who are not in Christ at the end of their life because of their sin, God has a right to judge sin. He's provided a means to avoid that judgment through Jesus Christ. He cast all of His judgment, all of His wrath towards our sin on Christ. Through Christ, we can avert that wrath through faith in Christ. But listen, God will judge sin. And Saul was given a clear command to carry out God's heart. Clear command. Look at verse 9 to see Saul's response. Saul did go after the Amalekites. Saul did deal with them in his own way. Look at what he says in verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. Saul responded to God's command by doing what was right in his own eyes. He he responded to God's command by partial obedience, of going part of the way, of doing what was easy, of doing what was convenient, of doing what was right in his own eyes. But he did not carry out God's command completely. Saul kind of put his own spin on God's command. He responded with partial obedience. And here's the challenge we all face. Partial obedience to God is total disobedience. It's total disobedience. The essence of sin, the word there, hamartas, it means to miss the mark. It is to fall short. Sin in its essence is falling short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Because of this, Saul is removed as king. 
And listen, as we read this story, if we're honest, if we're honest, we we will be tempted to feel like the judgment against the Amalekites was too severe. The judgment against Saul was too severe. Why? Because it was just disobedience. It was just not going all the way. The challenge for you and I, for me, for you, for all of us, is to see our obedience the way that God sees our obedience, but to also see our sin the way that God sees our sin. He hates sin. He hates it. And yet he loves people. And because of his character, he's got to deal with the sin. And and the, the reality is this, if all of us were honest, our attitudes toward our sin do not, and our disobedience do not mimic and mirror God's attitude towards our sin and our disobedience. If we're honest, we kind of enjoy our sin. Let's be honest. We like it. It can be pleasurable for a season. The reality is that all of us can put a spin on our lives and on our obedience that makes what we're doing seem okay. I mean, Saul, Saul, Saul is going to say, God, I saved the best for you. I'm going to give you the best, God. You know what God says? That's not what I told you to do. Sin. And at the root of all of this, at the root of all of this, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see a love for self that trumps a love for God. We're going to see a love for self that exceeds the love they had for God. And that's why Saul acted the way he did. And that's why you and I act the way we act. We love ourselves more than we love God. And, and here's the connection. How we approach, how we approach God's word and his commands. That's what I want us to hear today. For Saul, it was go defeat the Amalekites. For you and I, it's pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. We said that the word visit there, it means to, to, make, to make it a priority, an initiative. To go out and aggressively intentional was the word we used. Seek to care for the widow and orphan. That's the command. The connection is this, how will you and I respond to that command. Will we respond the way that Saul did and will we put our own spin on things? Will we go part of the way? Will we only do what is convenient and think that God is honored by that? Or will we go all the way and do exactly as God said and simply trust Him? What is our attitude towards God's commands? What is our attitude towards our obedience? What's our attitude towards sin, because how we respond to God's commands matters. And, and a couple of points there on your handout, and I accidentally misnumbered them And I, when I was messing around, and it says 4, 5, and 6. Some of you are wondering what was 1, 2, and 3. I think it's really it's just 1, 2, and 3. Some of you, I did get comments today, you were amazed that the handout was only part of one page. Thank you, Ernie, for pointing that out. That'll teach you. You can get called out, and no, I'm teasing. No, when I, put the, when I put the handout together and emailed it to... To, to uh, Melissa, I thought, wow, that's short. That's short. But anyway, let's, let's get out of here. <laughs> here, here I, I want to make some points real quick that I, that I think will resonate. They've resonated with me. Like I said, I'm studying this in my own life. I'm noodling on this in my own life. And here are just some truths that, that, I, that, that are clear from this passage that I, that I hope will help us. And again, I'm not, I'm not guilting us, you visitors. 
the members know my heart. I, my heart for you is that we would delight in the Lord, and then we'd live out of that delight. My heart is that we would, that we would live a life that grabs all the blessings that God has for us, many of them yet to come after we die. But listen, my, my greater heart is that we glorify the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of the God. Here's the reality. Total disobedience, total obedience glorifies God. And even partial disobedience does not bring honor to God before a watching world. And I think before, we, before we're ready to go there, we need to have some attitudes about our own sin and about obedience. And that's really my heart today. Look at verse 19 of chapter 15. Samuel has, has confronted Saul on his sin. He says, verse 18, The Lord sent you on a mission. He said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners. Please see that. God is judging sin here. The world wants to use passages like this and defame God and accuse God of things that He's utterly not. God is judging sin. He has every right. He has every prerogative. He has every responsibility to judge sin. He says, destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Look what he says in verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord and rushed upon the spoil, listen, and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? First point in your hand out, disobeying the Lord is evil in his eyes. It's evil. We, we, need, to, we need to be okay with calling sin what it is. You notice he didn't say it was, he didn't say it was an accident wasn't a slip-up. You know what is he? It was evil. Sin is evil in the sight of God. We, we can come up with all kinds of uh, adjectives and, and all kinds of other names. There's a word, not synonyms. Is it synonyms? Yeah, similar synonyms. Yeah, I wasn't very good in grammar. Synonyms to come for sin. But listen to me. You know what God calls it? Evil. He says disobedience is evil in God's eyes. It wasn't a mistake, not a mess up. It, doing what was right in his own eyes versus what was right in God's eyes, changing God's word in your own mind to fit your own desires, half obedience, he says it's evil. I, I say that not to, not to be a downer, but that we as a people of God, we need to have attitudes towards every aspect of life that mirrors God's attitude towards that part of life, and especially when it comes to, to sin. We will not put out sin in our life. We will not aggressively attack it until we develop a distaste for it and see what God says it is. It's evil. It's not to be played with. It's not to be toyed. That's why Paul says, flee immorality. Flee. Flee. It's evil. We need a hate for our sin. We need to put out of our mouths a taste for that sin. Look at verse 23. Rebellion, look at what he says. Rebellion is of the sin of divination. If you were to go to Deuteronomy 18.10, God calls divination an abomination. That's witchcraft. Here's why. What is divination? Divination is seeking wisdom from another source other than God. It's relying on someone or something else more than you rely on God. It's going to get a word from somebody else when you have a word from God. 
And he says, that's an abomination. It's evil. I mean, we've all got parents, we, all of us who are parents have kids whom they have gone to mom, let's say, and said, hey, can I do this? And, and, and mom says no, and guess where they go next? Let's go try out dad. Let's see what kind of answer I can get from dad. That's essential. That would be an illustration of what's going, hey, I don't like the word I got from the Lord. Let me go see somebody else what their word is. Let, and, and listen to me. It doesn't have to be every day I go home, I drive by a, a psychic. $10, she'll read my palm. I want to go in there and say, look, I already know what my future holds. But again, I, because I trust the word. And, and here's our challenge. We don't like the word we get from the word. So we go to all these other sources. It could be, it could be magazines. It could be newspapers. It could be all kinds of things. They don't have to, they don't, sin is, Satan is so, so subtle and so sneaky. It doesn't have to look horrible on the outside. But when we're looking for answers outside of the Word of God, when we're taking matters into our own hands and we're, we're trying to formulate opinions on things outside of the Word of God, he says it's evil. And that really is the essence of disobedience. It's trusting someone or something else you see it on a handout it's trusting someone or something else more than you trust god looking for another source of wisdom looking for an answer that fits you it's evil but look at verse 9 of chapter 15 Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and not willing to destroy them, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. Look at not willing. Listen, disobeying God is sourced in idolatry. It's idolatry. We like to think of idolatry as an Old Testament, Old Testament issue. Listen, we're just a little more clever with our idols today. We won't necessarily have a golden calf sitting in our yard, but listen, we got idols. We got idols. We, we got lots of things that are competing with God's love. And the number one, listen, you see it on your handout, the main source of idolatry that you and I battle with, the main preventer from us obeying God is self. Self. Me and my glory over God's glory. My way over God's way. My, I think I can find happiness in this, so I pursue it, even though if God's word says don't do it. It's idolatry. Again, you take it all the way back to, the, to Adam and Eve. Man's wisdom over God's wisdom. That, that's, that's, the, that's nothing new. For the rest of your life, that's going to be the battle. God's wisdom or man's wisdom. That's why there's so many commands throughout the Bible to die to self, to crucify self. My number one enemy is Chris Basham. It's self. That's why Romans 8, 13, or 12, I think it is. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not glorify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's, that's why we have the Spirit living in us, believer, to crucify the flesh. My flesh won't do that on its own. That's why the Word of God needs to be hidden in our heart, because we can quench the Word, we can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit, and He no longer puts to death the deeds of the flesh. Why? Because we fled our flesh so much that the flesh beats the Spirit. And God's Word says that's evil. Look, look at verse 12. 
Samuel arose early in the morning. He's trying to go meet Saul. God has told him what he's got to do. He's going to look for Saul. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. Set up a monument for himself. The challenge for you and I is that our lives become a monument to ourselves. That's our challenge. We, we may not be so bold again as to create a statue of Chris Basham and put it at the driveway and each, you know, two, me and Karen sitting at the edge of her driveway and you enter in. We may not be that so bold. But, but listen, if we're not careful, we live lives that are monuments to ourselves. We live a life that's a monument to ourselves. The challenge for us is don't let a life be a, don't let your life be wasted on yourself. Don't, don't let us in, be interested in more of our name and ourself than God's name, our glory over God's glory. Don't do that. Because again, God's word says that's evil. Look at verses 17 and 18. Samuel said, Is it not true, though, that you were. Li-? And this is the. This is, remember a couple weeks ago we said that the, the challenge for all of us is to forget. To forget who we were before God's grace, before our adoption through the gospel, those of us who are believers. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, remember, remember, remember. That's exactly, this is a picture of exactly what happens. And we said that when we forget, we become prideful and we become arrogant. Look, look at verse 17 and 18. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're exterminated? If you were to go back to 1 Samuel 9, 21, don't, don't go there, I'll read it real quick, but it says, Saul replied, I, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you speak to me in this way? So, it, there, there was humility. When he first started, there was humility. And guess what? Six chapters later, there's arrogance and pride to the point that, look who I am. I'm the king. I'll choose to do what I want to do in response to God. And, and that's all of our battle. The joy and the, the gratitude and, and just everything that was involved the first time we saw Christ by God's grace and He opened up our eyes and we were forgiven of our sin and we were adopted and we were forgiven. And all that goes with that, eventually, if we're not careful, we forget that. And we become arrogant and prideful to the point that we can pick and choose how we want to obey. Saul went from amazement at being chosen to arrogant in a matter of six chapters. Now that, that covers some time, but that he can pick and choose. We saw then Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, our own forgetfulness. And the breeding ground for arrogance and pride. We've walked with God 20 years. Don't you know who I am? I've been walking with the Lord a long Okay, that doesn't mean you're mature. Simply, simply being a Christian for a long time does not equate maturity. Ephesians, that's 1 Corinthians 3, Hebrews 5. Forgetfulness. Pride. And he comes to God's Word and he sits in judgment over God's Word instead of sitting in submission under God's Word. 
He comes to God's word and he's going to pick and choose what he's going to obey instead of having a heart of gratitude that says, I'm grateful to have anything to obey and I just want your glory, God, so I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Once he was there, but he's not there now. He wasn't content with his glory being wrapped up in God's glory. He wasn't content in making much of God. He wanted to make much of himself. Evil, it's idolatry. But not only that, disobeying, disobeying is rooted in fearing the wrong things. Look at verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words. Why? Because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Bible says very clearly, do not fear man who can only crush your spirit, or who can only crush, crush and kill your flesh, but fear whom he can destroy both your body and your soul. Do not fear man who can only deal with this body, but fear him who can deal with your body and your soul. Saul feared human consequences more than he feared eternal consequences. And, and, if, I'm not, and if I'm honest... That can play a huge role in why I do, and I, and I would bet that plays a huge role in why you do what you do. Fearing man more than fearing God. Seeking to please man and what man thinks about you more than the God. If we were to go to 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But sanctify Christ in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. If you go back a verse, the, the verse that sets the context for that is, do not fear man and their intimidation, but fear God alone. And 1 Peter 3.14 is a quote of Isaiah 8.12, and God is dealing with His people because even though they had Him as their king, they feared the exact same things that the world feared who did not have God as their king. And if that's us, listen, we will not set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. We will not seek His glory. We will not seek to obey Him the way that we should. Why? Because we're fearful of man. We won't set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts and, and always give a defense for Him. Why? Because we fear man. I, I'm grateful for songs that these kids sing that talk about fearless. Because God's Word says, I did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If God is for us, who can separate us? Who can really be against us? If God is for us, nothing can separate us from the love. Who will bring a charge, it says? Nothing can separate us from God's love that is in Christ Jesus. The reason why those verses are there is because you and I have a propensity to fear man, to live for man, to do what is honoring to man over God. Look at verse 22. We read it, but has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obedience and obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To obey, listen, here's the whole point. God takes great joy in seeing His children obey His word. Great joy in seeing his people obey his word. You see it on handout. Obedience shows the world that God is our true joy. That he is the source. 
John Piper said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Not stuff, not people's praise, not any of the other things. And our obedience displays God's worth before a watching world. If we were to go to John 15, verses 7 through 11, that, that's clearly put forth. And why? Why obey? You say, well, I'm saved by grace and everything. Why obey? Here's why obey, because God gets great glory and joy and praise before a watching world in your obedience. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father, listen, is glorified by this. By what? God's word abounding in you. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. He is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Why does obedience matter? Because God is glorified, and it shows the world whose disciples we are, whose children we are. He goes on to say, just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These two things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy will be made full. You see the interconnection of my joy and God's joy. And the essence of sin is that you and I are looking for joy outside of God's joy. That's the essence. Looking for sin, looking for joy outside of God. And what God desires most is loyalty of His people. Loyalty. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. If we were to go all the way back to Deuteronomy, nothing's changed. John 15, same thing God is saying here in Deuteronomy 10, 12-14. Listen, now Israel, what does the Lord require, require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven. And He says, I am commanding these today for your good. Do we trust that? Do we trust that? Our response, listen, we are not saved through works. That is very clear. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. Not of works, lest any man would boast. But listen, our obedience simply shows the gratitude that we have for being saved. They go hand in hand. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1, we've said it many times, Therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship, obedience. But it's obedience that's fueled by gratitude. It's obedience that's fueled by joy of having been saved. Not, not to save. If we were to go to John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be beloved by my Father. Verse 24, same thing. He says, he who does, my who, who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which the you hear is not mine. Love for God and obedience, hand in hand. Hand in hand. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's what, God, what I want us to see. Through His commandments, through obeying His commandments, God has set before you 
a choice. He has set before you a blessing, and he's set before you a curse. And it's all throughout the Bible. You can go all the way back to Deuteronomy 10, 11, and 26. Listen to what he says. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you, and a curse if you do not listen to them. You go over to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Listen to what he says. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, that in the commandment today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes, and you will live. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and a curse. And here's what Moses says. Choose life. Same thing he says in John 10. I have come that you would have life and have it in abundance. How? Through living according to my word. It's life. God's commandments, are, 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 they bring us life. The urge for every single one of us. Joshua 24, 15. Look at all the gods out there and choose which one you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It's your choice. It's a choice. Certain, don't get me wrong. I'm a big God's sovereignty. Big, God, big on God's sovereignty. I get all that. But yet, at, from our perspective, he has set before you a choice. Will you find joy in disobeying God and living for your own glory? Or will you find joy in living for God's glory? He's given us everything we need, 2 Peter 1, 3, for life and godliness. You know what he says? By faith. And then he goes on to add to your faith. Live by faith. And trust that there are blessings there. The same, the same choice is before every single one of us today. Blessings through Christ, which are eternal life, through Christ's work alone. Faith in Christ brings blessing, eternal life, to choose to deny Him, eternal damnation. That, that's just the, what the Word of God says. Condemnation. The choice is before us. And then, having been saved, we live this out. I, I love Titus 2.12. It says, the grace of God teaches us how to obey. Focusing on the grace of God. Continually focusing on the gospel. And, and that's what I want us to... How do we fight the tendency... To glorify self, to wonder, is to focus on the grace of God. Everything, listen to me, everything goes back to the gospel. It, we never, ever, ever move away from the gospel. That is the issue. Moving away from the gospel, forgetting the gospel. Grace, the grace of the gospel teaches us to deny ungodliness. Titus 2.12 says, the grace of God. Why? Because God has offered for us something better through his life and through his obedience and through his commands, then Satan has to offer. That's, it teaches us that. And the more that we obey, the more that we see that God is good and that he's a fulfiller of his promises, that he's faithful. And, and sin just teaches us that, that Satan is a liar. Exactly what 10.10 says, that he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. God has set before you a chance to have an abundant life. It doesn't mean that everything is going to go great. It doesn't mean you'll never get sick. But here's what it means. That God is for you, not against you. And when you die, you will go straight into His presence for all eternity. And where God's presence is, is where abundant life resides. It's in Him. It's not in stuff. It's in having been adopted. Having been forgiven. 
The Bible says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That's the gospel. We now, Hebrews 10, can boldly enter into God's presence. Why? Because God has allowed that through crucifying His Son. We who are sinners. And it's in His presence that is fullness of joy. And listen, it always goes back to the gospel. And listen, obedience keeps us connected to the gospel. Anybody ever, I, I've done this, anybody ever been, for me it's, I'll go out and vacuum the car with the shop vac, and I'll not be thinking about where I am, and I'll get too far away from the plug. You know what happens to the plug? It comes unplugged. And guess what happens when it comes unplugged? There ain't no suction. See, the power is what? The power is staying connected to the plug. And obedience, listen to me, obedience keeps me connected to the gospel because that's where the power is. It's not in me. Obedience keeps me connected. It doesn't save us. It simply keeps us connected to the life that has saved us with intimacy. And again, this, I would have put some fill-ins here. I, I, I deal with deadlines, and I wrote this on Friday afternoon, evening, as I was thinking about the gospel. I mean, the, the sermon sometimes... Sometimes you just got to pull these things out of the oven before they're really cooked. I don't know how else to explain it. And that's hard. I was unsettled all Thursday night. I was irritable because it, I, so I just, I, I didn't know that it connected. And you may walk out of here saying it still didn't connect. But for me, it made sense. But listen to this. Obedience fuels our joy. The, the role that obedience plays, that's what I just want us to see, and specifically with orphans. Obedience fuels our joy by keeping us connected, intimate, and abiding in the gospel. It keeps us connected. It reminds us of God's love. It reminds us of, that our obedience in our lives are a proper response to the gospel. Again, why does obedience matter? Because it glorifies God. It crushes self. It crushes pride. All fueled in the gospel. Power to live and have joy, and to see change in your life, it all flows from the gospel. Sponsoring these children flow from the gospel. Taking care of widows and orphans, it flows from the gospel. Why do we ignore God's commands? We've, we've separated ourselves from the gospel. There's no intimacy. You may be saved. The same way that loyalty, and, and as a spouse, if I go off and live however I want to live, and, and live like a fool, guess what? Karen may stay married to me, but you know what I won't enjoy? The pleasures of being married to Karen Basham. That's the reality, and that's what disobedience does. Separates us from the joy of being married to God, in that sense, of being His bride, Christ. We've we got to see it that way. It's evil. Wives, if your husband was messing around with another woman at any level, you wouldn't say, oh, he's just fooling around. You say that's evil. But why would that be any less with God? When His people are messing around with other things. It's evil. And obedience matters. And we can do all sorts of things here apart from the gospel, and that's the danger. To think God is pleased by all this stuff that we do that's outside of specifically what He's called us to do. Even Saul, oh, I'm going to sacrifice the best. God says, that's not what I told you to do. Listen, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, 
and I own the hills that they live on. If I wanted a sheep, I'd provide the sheep. Do what I told you to do. Why? Because I'm not honored through your self-glorifying sacrifice. I'm honored through your obedience, and I'm honored through your loyalty. And just walking around and, and quoting verses and, and, and acting like we're Christians and not obeying and not living for His glory, God says, don't think for one second I'm honored by that. Don't think for one second I don't see through that. I saw through it in the Pharisees, and I see through it in you, Chris, and I see through it to all of you. God is honored in obedience. And it's obedience that is fueled by the gospel. Obedience that is fueled by remembering that once we were lost, and now we're found. Once we were blind, and now we see. Once we were dead, and now we live. That's the gospel. That, that we live for God's glory and His praise more than anything else in all the world. That as John 1, 4 says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. That's what my life and your life, believer, were meant to show. That's what obedience to God's commands. This is one example. You don't have to do this. Even this, you could go sponsor 10 children. If you do it for your glory, you know what God says? I hate it. I hate it. I'm not, I'm not honored by it. I take no joy in it. But if you do it because you realize that you were the orphan that was saved through the gospel, and you do it out of that, God says, I get great delight in that. Great delight in that. Why? Because it's about His glory. It's not about the, it's not about the sacrifice. It's about obedience. It's about the gospel. And specifically, God's heart towards the orphan is very clear. I don't think anyone in here, we've looked at the passages, we've looked at them for six weeks. The issue becomes this. Will we ignore God's heart towards the orphans? Or will we embrace God's heart towards the orphans? That's what it boils down to. How will we respond? How will we respond? And it won't look the same in all of our lives. But listen to me, God has set before every single one of you a choice. Blessings, if you'll obey and live for His glory. Curses, if you choose the other, to live for self. That's the reality. Ultimately, that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, the gospel is this. God crucified His Son that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. He raised Him three days later to prove that He was indeed the God's, God's Son, that, that God had accepted that sacrifice. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here, here's what God has set before you. Blessing of eternal life if you believe that by faith. The curse of damnation if you choose to reject that. That's the choice. And then as a believer, these commands, He's saying, look... They keep you plugged into the gospel. There's, obe there's blessings for obedience. There's, there's going to be challenges for your disobedience. And at the very least, you will not enjoy your walk with our great God if you do not embrace the gospel through your obedience. And obedience matters. That's all I want us to hear. Obedience is matters, and there is much at stake in how God's people respond to His commands before a watching world. Matthew 5, He says, says, Let your light so shine before men that seeing your good deeds, they may what? Glorify your Father that's in heaven. Our obedience matters. And how we embrace God's commands matter. Hey, as you walk out, there's going to be an exit video for compassion. Take a look at it as you walk out. 
Brenna is going to be on the, at a table in the, in the fellowship hall. Listen, I, I want you to consider compassion. I don't want to guilt you into it. I, I don't want you to do it to think other people are watching. I want you to do it because you're honoring your Father who's in heaven and you're doing it because you've been saved. There are lots of ways that this is going to look in our lives. It will not look the same in all of our lives, but, but obedience matters. That's all I'm saying.